Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a Photog adventure of your own. Hey guys, welcome to the Photog Adventures podcast, Monday podcast for patrons. We are here today with Elise Bender. She is a photographer and a friend of ours that came with us to the Faroe Islands and she's going to be teaching with us at the Create Photography Retreat in Vegas. She is now located in Vegas and has been out in about for the last couple of months traveling around, right? Yes, absolutely. I've been all over both internationally and in the Southwest here in the U.S. Yeah, so we interviewed her last time um, when she just came back from Japan and we interviewed her and talked all about Japan, if you guys remember from a few podcasts back. And so this time we want to talk to her um, and and find out what she's been doing lately. She actually went out and bought a rig and got everything all ready to be a road warrior, you know, and go out and do photography and and uh and do it on the road so we're really excited about that Aaron is actually away so it's just me today so it's just me and her and uh, so we're kind of flip-flopping from last week but uh thanks for joining us and Elise let's uh let's start things off yeah so um thank you once again for having me on again yeah. um Elise Bender of A Bender Photography and um yeah I have had to make some major changes and a lot of learning experiences have come with living basically on the road. Um, yeah, because you're so based in Vegas, right? I'm based out of Vegas, but that's a very loose base mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so far as uh, when I need some downtime or if my husband's coming into town, uh, this is where I come back to because it's easy to fly in and out of. Um, yeah, nice. Otherwise, I'm living in a 25-foot uh, Majestic RV. And Majestic nice. is just the actual brand thor majestic so i'm not just trying to add on to it it's really not that majestic (laughs) of a vehicle (laughs) you gotta love how they name the rvs yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah there's nothing really majestic about it hulking beast is more likely yeah Um, yeah (laughs) road hog versus road warrior yeah um but it's been an adjustment there's been lots of learning um experiences with it so far as i've learned that it's not something you can go fast with mm-hmm. as far as it's not something if you're going to be moving every single day or trying to take out on the dirt roads or mm. trying to get access to things that are not easily accessible places um it's not a vehicle that has great flexibility. So you're but... not just going to jump in and chase the light with it all day long, right? No, no. Yeah. Unfortunately, my <laughs> dreams of doing that were quickly dashed as I found out exactly how much of a, a beast of burden this thing is. Nice. But you're carrying your entire life with you, really, um, or or your entire household with you. So for me, the pros of being able to do that and be out on the road longer, mm-hmm. I found ways to work it so far as ensuring the places I stay at have easy trail access mm-hmm. to locations that I want to photograph or want to explore for potential pho- photography mm-hmm. opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um I've also learned that taking it and making sure I have another set of wheels. So I actually ended up going and getting a folding bicycle to store with it so that I can go longer distances on a mountain bike that folds up for easy travel. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So when I found out about those, I went ahead and found one and and picked that up. And that's been helpful and, and useful for getting further afield while still maintaining the vehicle at a, at a park or um, a campground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's, there has to be some adjustment. Um, but it's actually, I think, been a good thing because it also makes me slow down. I'm not just mm. hopping from this spot to that spot to that spot um, 
trying to chase the light over large distances. It's more I sit in an area and maybe I hike a couple miles uh, a day. Um, and I look for what that particular small micro environment has to offer. Mm -hmm. And so in doing that, it's made me look closer at doing things like macro photography. Okay. And um, it's allowed me to also take in more wildlife and track Ooh. wildlife in, in the Southwest, which is new to me because, again, this is my first time living in the desert. Okay. So um, that's been very interesting, chasing d various types of wildlife. Um, and as you all well know, this area doesn't have that many clouds frequently, so it also gives me an opportunity to let clouds come in on particular days and, and hopefully catch sunrises and sunsets mm. out with clouds in a particular location that I've already scouted because I've been there a couple of days. Yeah. I mean, places like, that's a good point because places like Phoenix and Vegas have, you know, these large swaths of days of and months of like zero clouds or like yes. really high, really high clouds, which can still be pretty if they catch, if they can catch light just right. But there's really high cirrus clouds and wispy clouds. But like tonight, for instance, here in Utah, but Phoenix and Vegas areas can go 200 days without like, you know, rain really, yeah, or anything. clouds yeah. sometimes yeah and and i found that even sitting three four days in a location i still wouldn't see a single cloud yeah went down in arizona this past um this past month and so it really that in and of itself challenged me because i'm so used to in northern japan you're more likely to have cloud than you're not i mean it's right, more like 200 right. days with clouds <laughs> than without so for me, the challenge has been switching gears and still trying to come up with those compositions that don't heavily rely on having interesting skies. Right, right. So, it's so, yeah, it's great to choose macro and wildlife to focus on because that's, yeah. Kind yeah, of like, and, yeah, and getting to know these locations because I'm not traveling a lot of the national parks because they are not very dog friendly. Oh, and yeah. so since I have my two dogs with me, I've been trying to find either state parks or um, city parks, municipality type parks that maybe are not as widely known um, to stop and explore. And I'm finding that regardless of where I am, there's always something if you're looking for it. That's true. That's true. And places in Phoenix, like for instance, uh, have McDowell Mountains that are uh, yes. like kind of one of those places. And also the Echo Canyon area is really cool, has some really cool areas to explore and they're dog friendly. And yes, yeah, and they kind of do force you to get into those things that are not well known, but then you can find some like hidden treasures, right? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned McDowell Mountains. I spent three days there um, a couple weeks ago and that was my first time there. It was absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, came across everything from coyotes to various types of, of birds. Also just were, was able to get out. One of my favorite photos from my last um, trip on the road actually came from uh, the McDowell Mountain um, Park looking over towards I'm not exactly sure which mountains they were because I was in the McDowell mountains looking towards the west the east. or the east was it sunrise or was it sunset it was sunrise oh okay it was sunrise and I was looking towards the east yeah so out there further east is um I should know it and I don't because I've lived there for a long time, but the superstitions are further south, but it's yes. kind of in that general direction though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So over in that area and um, I got just this amazing image. Again, no clouds in the sky, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but because of the sunlight coming up behind the mountains, the mountains were in blue shadow still. Oh, nice. So you get these blue mountains and then you get this just real golden yellow sky coming up behind them and it was just it was it was very painterly and just mm -hmm. absolutely stunning um not only to photograph but just to witness you it's know, true it's true some of those times you just want to slow down put the camera away and be like i can't believe i'm here right now yeah and and, and i you know living in phoenix for 20 years we often took the the sunsets for granted and but we still 
I mean, we appreciated them, but man, after coming to another place and seeing where it could be a total bust for a sunset, where it was like in Phoenix, it was like, it was almost a gorgeous sunset almost every night. I was like, oh, there's another gorgeous purple and orange sunset. I mean, it's just like, you know, that's why the Phoenix suns are purple and orange because it literally right. is in the sky. I mean, and it's hard for people to understand that have never been there. Arizona right. really is one of those crazy, amazing places for sunrises and sunsets. Well, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, up until the time when I visited two years ago for the improved photography, create photography retreat, um, I really thought people were just completely overbaking their Arizona photos. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like they're turning the saturation way up, right? Like what's wrong with these people? No, after, after visiting that time and now having visited several times after, including, um, I just spent a little over three weeks in the state, mm. mostly in the, the Southern half. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a lie. That's really how they are. And it's absolutely amazing. If anything, you're so, turning the saturation down. Cause you're like, no exactly. one's going to ever but believe this. I got to turn this down to like negative 10. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, those highlights, they, they just pop so pink or so red or so orange that yeah. you're like, I need to desaturate that if I'm right. actually going to put it out. Right. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's been really amazing. And so the RVs, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but it's amazing. So I'm, I'm very glad for the opportunity. Hmm. Okay. So what are so, some of your um, favorite spots that you've traveled around to since oh, you've been, since you've had the RV and been traveling around? My favorite spot is the next one I'm going to be at. Okay. <laughs> That's like most photographer, right? Like the, what's your, what's your favorite photo? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's just been so many. I'm actually getting ready um, later this uh, later in December to head back down into Arizona, into the Phoenix area to meet up with um, one of my photographer friends down there, Joe Neely. And mm-hmm. we're going to go out and find some burrowing owls. We're going to go chase the wild horses um, and really nice. kind of do that for several days before I um, head out towards uh, Bosque del Apache in New Mexico okay, to do um, mostly bird photography out there with the sandhill cranes and the mass overwintering um, flocks there. Um, so this next trip's going to really hone in on that wildlife aspect that I just so love while still coming across landscapes across Arizona and into New Mexico. So that'll be, it'll be really, really fun, really interesting and a good way to kind of keep warm during the winter down South. (laughs) That's true. I mean, December, November, December, and January really are like the best times to go down to that area because the desert is, I mean, we're talking like mid sixties, even seventies during the day. Yeah. And 50s at night. And it's like, it's chilly if you lived there for 10 plus years, 50 degrees, you're like, oh, put on your sweaters. But when you're coming down from anywhere farther north, it's just like, it's so refreshing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm i Florida born and bred and now, you know, living in the desert. So for me, yes, I still put on a sweater when it gets below 70. But um you know, this last trip, I was meeting people who had already come down from as far as like Massachusetts. They had driven oh, down wow. to southern southern Arizona and were camped out for the winter in their RVs. And they're out there in shorts and T-shirts laying out in the sun. And <laughs> uh, I was like, well, I'm glad you all think it's warm. <laughs> <laughs> I know but, it's funny. <laughs> but that being said, you know, those cooler temperatures make it easier to carry gear on longer hikes. You're oh, not yeah. worried about dealing with, you know, a lot of the heat exhaustion mm-hmm. or things that you would hit during the summer. So it's an ideal time to explore the Southwest because you're not having to worry about the heat dangers. Yeah. And that's exactly why the wildlife come down to that area too, which is great. You mentioned you're going to be focusing on wildlife. They all yes. migrate down that area. And so you have all these animals coming from Northern areas down and, and flooding that area. That's what makes another those three months is another great time to go and focus on wildlife because, yeah, you're not going to get like the cool snowy, you know, fox and the white bunnies and stuff like that, like you'd have in a, you know, someplace like Yellowstone. But right. you're going to have all these cool desert dwelling animals that are coming down for for the warmth and uh, all the things that migrate south. You're going to run into this. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's things like one of the places I stayed, I had, it was kind of a last minute change. I was going down towards Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
and there's not really a good place for RV camping in the monument if you mm -hmm. aren't if you aren't going to use your generator or if you don't have solar power because the the monument doesn't have any sort of electrical hookups. Hookup. Okay, okay. So it would be okay for an overnight, but maybe not a long-term stay. Mm -hmm. So I found this other place um, just north on um, the Native American reservation that's there. And mm. I ended up actually not even making it to the National Monument because they had miles of trails right off of the RV park out into the desert. I got to see my organ pipe cactus because right. they there yeah i also got to find wild burrows nice. and that was a huge one for me because i hadn't seen wild burrows in the wild before so i spent my days tracking them down and saw everything from males fighting to little fuzzy babies with their moms oh, and that's awesome. so to me that's just kind of a really cool the cactus aren't going anywhere <laughs> they're really cool too but you know, the wildlife to me kind of holds a special place in my heart. So uh, I like the, the landscape. The landscape is very challenging, but there's something rewarding about the wildlife. Even if you don't get the exact picture you're after, you yeah. still get to see it. And that's not something that everybody gets to do. That's true. And that's, um, I think, probably one of the next things that, I'm, that I'd probably focus on with my photography is doing a little bit of wildlife. I mean, I've shot you know, here and there, different things when it, when it's like convenient or when that happens to be right there in front right. of you. Then of course, you know, so when you're on an Island and there's pygmy foxes that just live there. And of course you're just sitting down for Absolutely. lunch and a pygmy fox comes walking by. Of course you're going to get your camera and be like, Hey, hold for a second. Okay. Thanks. You know, but, um, and that's probably one of my favorite wildlife pictures of, is, is of that fox. But, uh, <laughs> and that was on the channel Island, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yes, I can't wait to get there because we just actually found out that uh, next year we're moving to California. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. To the uh, Monterey area. Oh, man. Okay. Aaron's going to be totally jealous because he used to live there too and he knows he'd be super excited for you actually. Well, yeah. you know, if y'all want to come over and if you want to work on your wildlife, I am always willing to go out and shoot. Right now I'm tracking down leads on shooting bears here in um, in Nevada. Oh, Yeah. And, um, and working on some of that, I'm also looking at potentially offering a birding, uh, workshop mm -hmm. the day before the create photography retreat in March. Ooh, that'd be really cool. So, so if you guys, if you, so those of you that are listening, if you guys have had reservations about going to the, you know, the, the create photography retreat, um, and you want to do some birding, you know, that's awesome that Elise is opening that up and offering that and uh have that available for you guys that retreat is going to be really fun uh, there's nothing that quite changes your photography like hanging out with a handful bunches handfuls of other photographers that are just right there at your disposable you can ask you know professionals you can hang out with semi-professionals and other amateurs and you pick up all kinds of cool tips and tricks and you know and the processing you know classes that we'll do and techniques you'll learn is just to me, it was like just going to Phoenix and having and coming back from there. We're just like our minds were blown. We're just like, oh my gosh! Oh, it's absolutely amazing. I've been going to these for the last. Um, this will be my third year. I've been with them since the the conception of mm -hmm. this particular retreat, and I've been to several others. Um, and every time I walk away, and it's just the best weekend of the year for me. A lot of times. Uh, so far as how much you learn, the networking that you do, mm -hmm. the people you get to know. I mean, I have friends all over the country that I can be like, hey, I'm in your area. You want to go shooting? Yeah, absolutely. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. You know, and so if nothing else, it's a massive networking and, and friendship building within the photography community um, opportunity. And so you learn a ton, you meet a ton of people, everybody is just having a blast. So you don't have to worry about drama or anything like that, like you do with some of the Facebook groups and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's just an absolutely amazing time and so worth the investment. I mean, you might be able to buy a cheaper lens or, you know, maybe upgrade a body for, for you know, trade-in value plus the, what you would pay for a ticket – it's so worth 
investing in yourself and your education and building that support network for your craft, for your hobby, for your profession that I can't stress enough to come to, to, to come to these workshops uh, and retreats. I mean, just, just the the plethora (laughs) of classes you have available to you, you know, when you register and you pay and you're like, so I can learn anything from like lighting a model to, to macro to Milky Way to like what? Like I can choose any of these eight things to focus on. And like, if you ever want to think about expanding your photography to other areas, this is like the perfect place to go. It's, it's an ideal spot to work on. Hey, I don't know if I've ever done real estate photography. Let me go over to this class and look and see if it's something I might be interested in. You know, it's definitely a place to get out of your comfort zone for your craft. And it's only going to make you better. Exactly. Exactly. Like you can't, you can't lose at these things. It's only going to be a positive experience in multiple ways yeah. that, I mean, it, it really is. You can't lose when coming to these. Yeah. And the fact that we can take a group out to the desert and like shoot stuff in the desert and action shots and, and landscapes oh, yes. all in the same day. I mean, that's going to yes. be just amazing. Oh, and yeah. Landscapes, wildlife, macro action, all in one location. I mean, or nighttime lights, street Mm -hmm. photography, portraits, all in one location. Right. And then we can can go out and shoot Milky Way and process and do all that stuff also. I mean, it's just. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, the biggest downfall to the workshop is that for three days, you basically don't sleep. Yeah. But that's okay. That's what they're they're there for. (laughs) You're not there to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when we were were in Phoenix, uh, Rusty was hanging out with us most of the time. And we were so exhausted, the three of us. We just like, we had to skip one class because we're like, we just need a nap. It's just, we can't, we can't go anymore. (laughs) We have to rest. (laughs) It really does come down to, I don't want to miss anything. So do I eat or do I take a nap? Right. And it just depends on which day you're at, which one wins out. It's like you just got to bring a backpack, backpack full of snacks because, and then yes. then you can eat and take naps. And nap. then, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I again, as you said, I highly suggest anybody sign up for the Create Photography Retreat if they can make it to Vegas in late March. Um, come out, join us, and let me show you where I currently am based out of. Yeah, yeah. I I love this area so. It is cool. And I've been to Vegas a few times, but I haven't been outside of Vegas very much. I mean, there's so many, there's mountains close by, you know, there's, there's sand dunes nearby and there's like these really cool places that no one ever goes to because they only go to Vegas in the town and they usually stay in the town. Even my aunt and uncle who have lived here for seven years, I just went out and scouted two locations um, yesterday for birds, mm-hmm. they had never heard of either location. Wow. And one is a big, um, bird preserve in Henderson, which is about 30 minutes from the strip. Nice. And the other one is another big park to, to the North, about 30 minutes from the strip. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, two areas that are just absolutely, especially right now through when the retreat is, filled with overwintering and migratory birds yeah and they've lived here seven years never heard of them yeah that's crazy (laughs) so i mean there is a ton of stuff to do that does not involve casinos lights and pavement right but it's also with the casinos lights and pavement an ideal spot for anybody who's looking to do street photography portraiture commercial type um very dramatic type uh portrait or even some product work oh yeah can be done. oh yeah yeah absolutely so sorry i can i can go on about vegas so much so i know and well <laughs> and, and it's so accessible because you have the casinos there that draw everybody and the, the plane tickets are so cheap that yes. i think it's an ideal place for a place for a retreat like that yes absolutely it has a little bit to offer every everybody and it is a very accessible location, both domestically and international. I mean, I when I was living in Japan, I would fly into Vegas and then drive from Vegas because the flights were so cheap mm. into Vegas that I could then rent the car and drive down to like Phoenix 
and the cost was offset. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you have wheels too to get around. So. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to need wheels anyway, so might as well save the money on the flight. Cool. So, so let's let's uh, let's rewind a little bit and go back to yeah, before sorry. you moved to <laughs> Vegas. You actually went to the Faroe Islands with us for the first workshop um, yes. in Faroe Islands, and then you went back again. How like two weeks later? I mean, it was really recent. <laughs> yeah, it was it was about three weeks later. I got back. I booked my tickets um, to, back, and this time instead of going through Iceland, I went through Scotland. Okay. I spent some time in Scotland and then hopped back to the Faroe Islands with uh, James Kelly once again and did another eight days in the Faroe Islands in October okay. where weather was extremely different. Um, we had rain every day. It was moody. It was windy. It was still epically amazing. Like, I don't know if you can really... If you can get out of your vehicle and shoot, I don't think there's bad weather in the Faroe Islands. There's not mm. a bad time to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was amazing. And then I went back to Scotland and spent another couple of days in Scotland as well. So I got a taste of both of those. Okay. Um, the Faroe Islands in, in, in October – like I said, it was a completely different experience than what we had in September. Yeah, September was totally um, like, it was really September calm was and serene and yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a little bit of rain here and there. We had amazing sunsets, mm -hmm. great sunrises, days without rain, clouds moving through. October, it was clouds moving through every day. I think we got one sunrise one or two sunsets and everything was just moody. So it just depends. Wow. Like there mm. was still stuff to shoot. The light was still moving through. It was, it was still epic. The Faroe Islands. I mean, and they're always epic. I think. Yeah. 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 I don't, like I said, I don't think you can really have a bad time there. If you can get out of your car and shoot, there's always going to be something, yeah. but was definitely a very different shooting experience mm. in October than what we had in September. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really cool to see the differences for me because of doing it back to back. And it was just one um, month apart too. We're talking September to October. Yes. It's another, just yeah. another month. Yeah, it was, it, it was, I think I only had three weeks back between when I left the Faroe Islands and when I returned. Wow. So um, it was that big of a difference and it was a bit colder as well mm -hmm. in October, obviously. Um, and so the grasses and the mosses had kind of started turning colors. And so oh, it was more okay. brown and orange um, while we still had very green when we were there. Yeah. Yeah. It was very green still. So, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking that maybe um, spring and, and, and fall like September and maybe April, March is probably your best Maybe your best times to go. I've never been during summer, obviously, so it'd be fun to see what it's like in the middle of summer. But I was gonna yeah. say I'll be very interested to see what what um, y'all's experiences with your trip in April mm -hmm. um, is is going to be like. So I'll be very interested to see what what images and what weather you all have during that time. Yeah, I'm super excited to go back, and uh, we have both in April that's that's been sold out, and then we have a September workshop that's right. still open and has some has a few available spots left so yeah so and then i did scotland and scotland in october was absolutely gorgeous i had not really considered scotland for mm -hmm. fall colors i don't know why i just never really thought of it that way so what was surprised you there about about scotland it was blazing with fall color really everywhere it and I didn't, I didn't have a rental car, so okay. I didn't get to go out as much as I would have liked, mm. especially on my return trip. Yeah. Um, but what I was able to see, what I was able to hike to, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I picked an Airbnb that was actually in a train station. Oh, the, really? It was a tiny train station out in the middle, um, just south of Glencoe. Uh, in a place oh, called nice. Dalmali. So you literally got off the train and 
the train station had been privatized okay. and it was a private residence cool. and artist um, gallery. And then they had Airbnb rooms that they had set up. Nice. And so you were able to get off the train and go directly to your room. And about a mile and a half down the road, there was um, Lock Awe, which is one of the largest locks in, um, in Scotland. Hmm. And there's a castle right there on the lock. And so I was able to walk out there and get pictures with the Moody because we had rain pretty much every day I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it saturated the colors. You got the clouds moving in across the mountains with this castle sitting on the lock. And it was just absolutely amazing. Wow. So um, I'm already making plans to go back this coming October. That's awesome. <laughs> so well, I'll just put it that way. This coming October, I'm going back. So That is really cool. Um, that might be a fun uh, trip to try to join you on. I don't know if we'll be able to make it this year but uh, or next year. I guess it will be next year already. It's yeah, so crazy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's so crazy because we're already like planning out. Like our, our whole year is almost planned out already. Oh, I'm and, already uh, planning into 2020. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, that's like, guys, seriously, <laughs> that's like our next step is like, okay, 2019 is already planned out. So was, you know, go to 2020 next. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. But I think a lot of photographers do do that. Um, and I was, and I wanted to go back to the, to the RV situation and, and that you have that I was going to want to talk to you about planning. Like, has your planning changed? Cause you have to take things slower. Like how has that affected you as a, as a yes. planning photographer? So I have had to take it much slower. So, and when I say much slower, I mean like literally instead of being able to drive eight, 10, possibly 12 hours, like I would in a regular vehicle, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty much limited to four hours or less a day driving. Really? I hate driving it. It is not a fun vehicle to drive. You have to be on your toes at all times. And so since I am the only one in the vehicle who can drive because Ah, as much as my dogs like sitting there, they can't actually handle the wheel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I'm not going to lie in the Southwest, the roads are not the smoothest. Mm -hmm. So in a large vehicle, you just get a lot of noise. You get a lot of vibration. It takes its toll on you. So, Right now, since I'm still relatively new to it, I mean, I haven't been driving RVs for years or anything. Right. I've only been doing it for the last couple couple um, months. I kind of keep myself to a um, three three four, so three hundred miles, three p.m. or four hours of driving. Oh, okay. So it's kind of how I break it down. Yeah. Um, it means that I'm not driving at night. It means that I don't have a whole lot of time on the road. and But the nice thing is with that is it gives me time to still shoot in location in the morning. Mm-hmm. Then I can move and I have time at my next destination to shoot that evening. So I'm actually maximizing shoot time also each day by doing this. Yeah. Um, so in... I have to plan carefully in making sure that I have spots that I want to shoot each day within four hour drive. Okay. So it's slower. It's a bit more in the planning because I have to make sure it's good locations for pet friendly, that there's trails, that it's a place that I want to be at. Um, because to maximize shooting time, even if I'm only there one night, well, I still have a sunset and a sunrise and yeah. time to do those, so I need to do them. So it's it's been interesting. It's been fun. Um, again, lots of new learning experiences with, with traveling in a new way, yeah. but I, I do really like it. You get into a routine on the road. And so it makes it real easy. And in a space that small, you're not having to worry about, oh, well, I've got a clean house today. I have to adult. No, it's Mm. okay. I wiped down the table and I did my fork and spoon that I used. And so let's go out and shoot. Nice. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) So um, it really does maximize shooting and exploring um, with being offset with the you're not moving as much as you would if you were just in a smaller vehicle. So how has that experience changed your photography from like what you were doing like six months ago to what you're doing now? What's the, what's, what kind of changes has happened? 
it's really made me kind of search for the little things. Mm-hmm. So while I want to be in place and try and get those epic shots, right? I know I'm not doing that every day, right? But to increase both for practice and portfolio, okay, well, what can I shoot? So it also makes me a bit more flexible and makes me um, more open to trying new things based on what I'm given on a location or based Mm -hmm. on the lighting that I'm given on a certain day because I'm there. So I'm able to slow down and really kind of enjoy the craft versus pressuring for that epic shot every day. I've got to chase the light. I've got to chase the storm. Uh, I know I can't do that. So how do I make it work for me? Yeah. By being flexible. And so um, there were quite a few days I was without cloud. I was in a location that didn't have that epic view. Um, And so I really started looking at the smaller things and I got a very nice collection of macro shots Mm -hmm. of various cacti spines that I really like as, as little macro pictures. And I could easily see those up, uh, you know, uh, on a small wall as a nice little collection, um, you know, in somebody's entryway. So Things like that, I might not have slowed down enough had I been traveling the same way I was traveling six months ago where I was just in an SUV, you know, pulling eight hours to get to this one epic overlook to for sunset. And uh, so it's been good. It's been good for the photography. It's made me grow and be more flexible. That's really cool. Um, I was wondering about your equipment. Has that changed at all since that you say you're doing more macro? Are you using the same equipment to do macro or you, did you actually buy a dedicated macro lens? Well, I've always had a, I've had a dedicated macro lens, a Nikon, Nikon 105 uh-huh. macro yes. yeah. that I've had for years now, but I rarely ever actually pulled it out. Okay. Well, okay. because I'm traveling in an RV, I'm able to take everything I have with me. True, yeah. So I have it with me, and so I'm more apt to pull it out and play with it um, and try it on different things. I was actually out hiking. I was going to do some macro. It was midday, no clouds, no real wind. I was like, okay, I'll just go out hiking, scout this trail that I'd found, um, and take the macro lens with me. 105 macro, and I come across two herds of wild burrows. And I had to make it work because I was like, they're there. Yeah. And I actually, I mean, it, it's still midday, so the lighting's a bit harsh. But um, I actually got some pictures that I, I like, and I'll be sharing this coming week in one of my uh, blog posts on shooting um, wild horses and burros in the, nice. in Arizona. Nice. So, um, so you, you have know, a, you have a bigger zoom lens that you would have brought if you had known. I do. Okay. I have a 105 to 600. Oh, wow. Um, okay. The Tamron. Um, and that's a beast to carry and hike mm-hmm. with. But um, I just bought a Black Rapid Curve um, strap to okay. help with that. Um, highly suggest if you're going to be hiking with any heavy gear, but that's like your only gear that you're taking with you versus having it in a bag, because with wildlife, you know, it's not going to wait for you to pull your gear out of a bag and set up. So true. Um, Yeah. So you want to have it easily accessible. So the black rapid curve is a cross body sling and you're able to just pull it up and, and shoot, be ready to go. Um, nice. So that that was an addition because of the way I'm traveling. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's it's easier because I can have everything with me, but it's also harder because then when I actually start hiking, I'm like, okay, what am I taking with me? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's interesting how you can find more creativity creativity when you have certain parameters to work within. Yes. I know in the design industry. Um, there's a lot of like, you know, for, for ages, we've been taught to think outside the box, think outside the box. And then my brother-in-law gave me a book that's called think inside the box. <laughs> and it's all about this guy who gave himself like these certain, like really strict parameters. And then, and then, and that's kind of how photographers think in a lot of ways too. When certain situations come up, it's like, okay, I only have this lens and this body, but I want to do this thing. How can I make that yes. work? You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 
I've actually found that to be, you know, on a slow day where, you know, it's maybe midday and I'm just wandering around. I'll take one lens with me and see what I can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like that, that time with the, the mat where I only had the macro lens, but I'm shooting wildlife with it. Um, all right, I still 100 millimeter. Yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta scoot millimeter. in. You gotta you gotta sneak up closely to get the full you know fully in there. But uh, but yeah, it's enough yeah. reach. Yeah. So I've had to do that. I've had to do that with mine as well. <laughs> and uh, you just wish you just had a little bit more reach. Um, now, if they'd been a smaller animal, I probably wouldn't have gotten it. But right. because they were burrows, it, it worked out. True. So. True. Yeah. So larger. Yeah, larger animals that will but work out work out better. One of the things that I found that I found was interesting too is when um, using different lenses, like even as low as a thirty-five millimeter, um, mm-hmm. that there's something magical about that focal length that you can really get close up on an object and still focus on it. Yes. I mean, the thirty-five has a really, really close focus range, and you can actually use it for macro. And I don't think a lot of people actually realize that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, for me, I. My only fixed lens is my 105, but I found myself using um, my 16 to 85 in those, you know, the 16 to 35 range. Yeah, yeah. For getting pseudo macro mm-hmm. images um, because of that. And it works out great. I mean, if that's all you've got with you, figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, it's 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 amazing how flexible a twenty four or thirty five or something that's a wide angle. I mean, you get you can be amazed if you're not that familiar with your lenses. Practice on something and get as close as you yes. can to something, and then you'll be amazed because you can get that really wide field of view, but then have this yes. like amazing detail up close on this object, and it still can be an amazing shot. And that just reminds me of a, of a time I was in Arizona and I found this little tiny like um, uh, prickly pear cactus. It was only like two sections high and a little tiny pink, you know, uh, um, blossom on top, you know? Right. And, yes. uh, and that usually happens in the winter time the, the, the cactus right. bloom in the, in the winter. And, uh, and so it happened to be the perfect time for me. I was taking my family down for like Thanksgiving, I think, or something. And, uh, and I just got down really, really low and I got this amazing, you know, dirt and all the detail of the, of the sand. And then this, all this, you know, s- spines and all the detail from this little cactus, and then all the way up to the sky, and it was just like I couldn't believe how close I could get with just a thirty-five millimeter, you know, focal yeah. length. Well, and that also brings up a good good idea is don't always shoot from eye level, you know, standing. Yeah, yeah. You know, get out and play with, you know, maybe taking a step stool with you one day, or making sure that all your shots are down low. Right. Um, right. You know, trying to trying to play with that and see how that changes your perspective of areas, so that then when you're out exploring new areas, you can be like, oh, well, that would be really good if I got down low and I can bring that cactus in front of the mountains. Um, and then have, you know, the full moon rising over them or however it ends up playing out. But, you know, if you have downtime, if you're able to take it slower and try different things, then when you get into a situation where you're fast paced shooting and you're trying to knock out as much as you can in a short period of time, you already know how to work your equipment, you have an idea of how to frame things, and you're able to just go, 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 and go home with a whole lot of really good shots, Mm, even if you haven't been to that particular location before. Right. And I think it's that practice and getting to know how your lenses react to different situations, how your camera reacts to different situations and, and this practicing getting lower, getting extra high and doing all these things that I think people just meet, sometimes you get in these ruts, you know, yes. and we get in, uh, in creativity, 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 creatively, we get in these <laughs> ruts too. And these ruts can really hold us back in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, I think going out and, and slowing down is like, I think, yeah, I, I'm just kind of envious and kind of jealous that you can really take that time and really just explore a place and spend a day or two at a place and see what happens. Yes. And that's, and that, and I think that's what really brings out some really epic photos. I think in the long run, you'll have some amazing stuff to share because of that. Yes. Yes. And it gives me an opportunity to connect locally and oh, yeah. 
you know, people who have been in the area um, for either coming down and overwintering for mm-hmm. years, because mm-hmm. I've found a lot of those in Arizona. Snowbirds. Where, we call them snowbirds. Yeah, the yeah. snowbirds. Yeah. <laughs> we call them snowbirds in Florida, too. Yeah. But you know, they've been coming to the same location year after year. Mm-hmm. So I've got some of these retired guys parked up next to me at this campground where the wild burrows are. And they're like, oh, yeah, at five o'clock every day, they're over here at the watering trough oh. at the casino. I was like, well, that's just brilliant. Like, you know, so when you slow down, you're able to talk with people, you get that local knowledge, you make those contacts and you, you know, you have a connection with an area, then it's not just show up, shoot, get out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And kind of this impersonal, more uh, collection of images, you actually have stories and connections with what you're shooting. Um, And I think that's also important is really connecting with what you're doing, because it's not just a craft. I mean, we are literally going out and chasing down the beauty of nature. Yeah. And I think visiting a, a location more than once. Um, especially if it's a place that you're near, like I'm finding places near my home that I want to go to more than once because every day is different. Yes. And it's okay to go to a location more than once. I think this is what the really, really good photographers do. Like we, we learn about people like Elia Lacardi that sit there for three days and study the weather patterns and what's happening in that environment and how the light works and all that stuff. And then he sets up his shot. I mean, that's just, it's like, I don't have time to do that. I've got three kids at home. I can't sit anywhere for three days and do anything. You know, it's like, and so we're constantly like in this mindset, right? But I think that if we're out and remove ourselves that we can go to, like, I've got a place, you know, 15 minutes from my house that I want to go to like every month and I should go every month and, walk up the trail and see what's different this month versus last month, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually think that's part of, I've been quite envious of several photographers that I follow because they have their home range. They've Mm -hmm. been exploring these home ranges for 10, 15, 20 years. Right, right. I'm like, I'm never in a location that long. True. So I have to figure out how to learn areas quickly. And so for me, sitting in a location three, four days, that is taking it slow for me. Right. And so I've learned tricks and, you know, there's certain things I pick up on um, a bit faster because of that. But you're right. Being able to revisit something month after month, year after year, you're going to learn that landscape intimately and it can only help you in setting up your shots later on when you are presented with the most epic sunrise or sunset that you've seen in that location the right. entire time you've been there. You know what composition you're going to want for that. Right, exactly, exactly. And it's awesome to use, you know, like our, our phones are so powerful now. We can use programs like PhotoPills and go to an epic location and be like, I want this shot, but I want the sun to be right here. You know, so like when and where is the sun right here? And you can actually literally do that and and figure out, okay, uh, April and November, this one spot by uh, the canyon by my house, there's a spot where the the mountains kind of come at a cleave at the valley and you can see uh, the city and stuff. And I like, I'm like, will the sun ever set right in the middle of this? And it's just like, yes, it will. I'm like, holy cow, like that's crazy. That'll be epic. Yeah. It's like, I can't wait to go back. Yeah. yeah, So when I go up there with just the right situation, with just the right clouds and there's a break and I can see the sun and all that stuff, it could be amazing. And so, but I, but now that I know when to go, it's going to make it easier. And you said what, like two days out of the year, it's, it's basically a line there a couple days out of the year. It's usually, I, I'm, I'm going to guess it's probably within a week, you know, you've got one, two, twice, twice a year, but they probably have a, like a week where the sun's going to be setting in a pretty good spot there, you know? So then, I mean, I, clouds up in Utah, do you get them frequently enough or could it be that you have to wait maybe a year or two before in, you actually get a shot? In April and November, there is a lot of cloud action actually. So okay, it could actually good, work out really good. well. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I just That'll happened to go. Good. I just happened to go like it was a September one afternoon and thought, oh, okay, the sun's setting way over there. Like, when is it over here? And so, using something like PhotoPills was really awesome to figure out. This is the okay. I'm, I'm going to come back in November. I'm going to come back in April or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and and by me going out and scouting these locations now and taking the time to kind of learn them, I can pinpoint which spots I want to come back to later on. 
mm-hmm. and be like, okay, when I do only have three or four days here, where do I want to go in Arizona? I want to go here. Yeah. You know, and, and take my time those few days to get back to that location and, and see how it is then. So how are um, you saving that data? Like, what are you using to save that location? So are you writing I'm a note down school. or? Yeah, I'm old school and I have a paper journal. <laughs> okay. I also, I also put pins in my Google Maps, but. Um, That's what I do. I put pins in my Google Maps. So I send it, to, I, my, my phone is always in the same Google Maps, right? And I've got signed in. And so when yes. you look at my Google Maps, there's like, there's like little stars and hearts yes. and other little yes. places to go. Green pins like everywhere now. Cause I'm just yes. like, I I'm going to use this all the time. I have that. And then I have more detailed notes in a notebook, you know, what okay. I saw, what, you know, the train was like, what I would want to shoot, oh, you know, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Um, if there were any cons, like it was seven miles of washboard road to get to this location, oh, you know, that right, sort of right. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, or they didn't have showers, that sort of thing. Um, I make those notes. So I know exactly what I want to go back to. Okay. Okay. I do a little research on my phone on Google and like Google Maps or Google Earth. And then I'll find a place that looks cool from the sky. And I'll be like, okay, I'm going to pin this because I want to come back and explore here, you know. And so that's I found that as a very valuable resource and tool as well. Yes. Google Maps is absolutely phenomenal for planning. Um, Just in general, whether it's a road trip, whether it's a photography trip, Google Maps is probably my it's my number two stop. I normally plan around f- photos, so I'll be looking on Instagram or something right, like that. Right, right, right. Photo ideas, and then from there I go, okay, where's that? Okay, and then I go to Google Maps, and I plan everything from there. Yeah, yeah, cool. But, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Again, like I said, I take off um, again in late December for about a month. I go back down into the southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, and then I get back in time to go to northern Japan because I'm making a return trip out to northern Japan oh, for about nice. two weeks to photograph the cranes and eagles and fox and deer out there as oh, well. Oh, that's awesome. So. Oh, I'm jealous uh, of that. I wish I could go. I want to, I, I, I mean, I, I have exchange students that live in Japan, like several now. <laughs> and like I have places I could visit and people I could see. And yet... Uh, um, I think my wife would be pretty mad if I went without her. So I'd have to figure out a way to, to take her, <laughs> her with me. So fair enough. Fair enough. It's yeah. a great place for family to go. It's super safe and there's just something for everyone. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, but, Hey, thanks for spending time with us on this podcast and, uh, thank you so much for let having us me know back. where people can follow you. We want to follow your next adventure and you, you have a, you have a blog that you post on your own site and stuff like that. I do. I have um, a blog on my website, which is abenderphotography.com. Okay. And you can sign up to get the newsletter on there as well. And I let you know each time a new post is put out. Cool. And I'm on Instagram at abenderphoto and abenderphotography on uh, Facebook as well. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Elise Bender, for joining us. Thank you so much. uh, Thank you, patrons, for supporting us. And Elise, thank you for your time. And we... uh, Hope to see you again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. You have a good one. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye.